The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Scripture is found in John 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. As we have been going through our series uh, called Mark, uh, we we marked of a marks of a disciple. Uh, what we have been trying to do is show that in this world um, where values and priorities consistently shift, um, the call to discipleship remains steadfast. And in this series, we uh, we explore the different characteristics that mark the follower of Jesus Christ or a disciple of Christ, inviting all of us as the family of God and those that are joining us on this journey to reflect on this journey of what it looks like to pursue a closer walk with God. Amen, somebody? And so here we're drawing our understanding from the teachings of Jesus. We will uncover the timeless qualities uh, that set the disciples apart and guide them through the path of spiritual growth. That is us that sets us apart and guides us to this path of spiritual growth. And when we find ourselves in our passage this morning in John 15, it is to understand our greatest need. 
When, when we begin to sing, it, it was just, it was such a testimony of God's faithfulness because when Rico said, we remain steadfast, uh, the title of our sermon this morning is to, we abide in Christ. Abide is to remain, right? You, you'll hear me pray, say it again. It is to remain. And a lot of times it's hard just to remain. When, when to stay to be steadfast, to, to hold on, to be connected to the true vine. It's hard to do that. Uh, you, you can testify that there are things that distract you and, and cause you not to remain because you figure that I need to do something. It, it, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a part of our human nature. Our natural proclivity is to say, I need to do something. I need to fix it. I need to make sure that if I do it, then, then it will, God will be glorified. God is glorified no matter what humans do. It is because he is God and he is God alone. That's why when, you, when, we, have, uh, uh, when we have all of the solas, meaning alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, in glory, in glory alone, it's all in faith alone. We're justified through Christ. All alone is significant because it's not you and Jesus. It's not you and the Father. It's you and the Holy Spirit. It is the triune God working all alone. He didn't ask you to create the earth. He didn't ask you to fix all of your own situations. He didn't ask you to pick yourself up out of the muck and the mire. He didn't ask you to take on the suffering for your own sins. It is Christ alone. And we have to remind ourselves of that daily. And in order to remind ourselves, we have to understand that it requires us to understand our need. Uh, when you, when you, the best way that I feel like you can illustrate to understand your need is to know when you're hungry. When you're hungry, you don't ever say to you, you, you typically say to yourself, I'm hungry, I'm going to find something to eat. Right? You, uh, you may eat empty carbs, right? You may find something that is uh, substantive. You may drink a protein shake. You, whatever health kick you may be on or whatever unhealthy kick you may be on, uh, you're going to try to satisfy the hunger. The Bible says that we ought to hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. And we don't quench that by doing more. We don't try to satisfy the hunger by, by trying to be God, taking the place of God, but, and, or, or trying to do it apart from God. What we do is we draw closer into him. We take moments of our lives. We wake up daily and we say, God, we need you to lead us according to your will. Help me to be presently aware of where you are working in my life. Please, Lord, allow me to step out of the way, to hide beneath your cross. Because some things, it is about me. But help me, Lord Jesus, to recognize how to make it more and more and more about your glory. Godly people, we must live like that. As godly people. So we people will know that we're disciples of Christ. I was just having a conversation with someone who said, Michael, I stopped listening to certain P 
people because I felt like the preacher was making it about themselves. That's key. Primarily because when James talks about or Paul talks about being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, we have to acknowledge that when we make it about ourselves or we make it about the act, what happens is people don't see Jesus. People have to know that we're disciples of Christ. They can't just know that we're about justice and it's not about Jesus. They're about mercy, compassion, apart from Jesus. Godly people make it known that the works that we do are unto the Lord and only by his strength so that people will know that Jesus sent us. That's what John says if you continue to read John. It says that people would know that we're sent, that he was sent if we love one another, if we uh, become one, perfectly one. Uh, people will know, John 17, when he's preaching, when he's uh, uh, praying the high priestly prayer which we're in, people will know that. And so the same thing happens when we make it known that everything that downtown church does, every way that God has led us through this pastoral search, how he's leading us and guiding us, it is because Jesus is with us. We didn't fall apart. We didn't fall away from Jesus, but we fell into him even more as a body of believers. And so if we were to be honest, the struggle though for us is legalism, is moralism, is cultural things and ideologies that pull us into certain ways to say, I want to abide in that. I want to abide in, in being right. I want to abide in my politics. I want to abide in a certain lifestyle. I want to abide in that. I want to remain in that, right? And it is for us to confess those things that cause us to want to remain in them and say, God, I don't no longer, help me not to want to abide in those things. But help me to want to know you. And I'm going to ex- illustrate this in three ways. And we'll, 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 il- we'll get out of the way. Uh, depend upon Christ. Right? Depend upon Christ. If you say, how does it, how, what does it look like to live like a d- disciple to depend upon Christ? Hide God's word in your heart and to love one another. The, the idea in which Jesus dwells with us, it is, and, I, and I'm glad to see in Sunday school, with constructing a biblical theology around certain things, it is to see God in the entire narrative of what he's doing. So we've already looked at Exodus. You can look at Exodus 28, 25, and 8, where it says that, uh, it says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God desires to dwell within his people. We hear this consistently throughout the Old Testament. Testament. And when we look at John, it becomes even more abundantly clear that Jesus wants to be with us. We, he's with us now, beloved. He's with us now. And, and sometimes what we have to admit to ourselves is we may not want to be with Jesus. He's not as cool sometimes. It's not as, it's, it's not, it don't feel right. And that's what I mean by if church is a circus, if church is a gimmick, we have to uphold the gimmick. We got to uphold the circus. You understand what I'm saying? We got we to put it together every time. Church is not a circus. 
nor is it a gimmick. It is the people of God standing before our Father in heaven, giving him all praise, exalting him, magnifying his name together, showing our dependence for which he abides in us. And our text helps us because when we, as we look at these verses, and we'll concentrate on verses 5 through 13, even though reading 1 through 17, what we understand is it's emphasizing the dependence upon Christ without referring to the vine dresser. That is God. When you read Psalm 8, it tells 80, it tells us that God the Father had planted and rooted Israel as a vine. And it also, we see that John is alluding to, or Jesus is, is as John is writing Jesus' word, he is alluding to this fact that cleansing and purging the branches that do not depend on God are fruitless. It's an identification as to what it means to be a branch, a follower, a disciple dependent upon Christ. And now we know that there are seven I am sayings. I'm assuming that we all know that there are seven I am sayings. And this is the last one in which he is saying, I am the true vine. The proclamation of this notion is the idea in which he is showing Israel was called the vine, but I am Jesus, the true Vine, which modifies that is meaning that he is actually the one that is fulfilling what Israel could not fulfill, right? It, it, that's what I was alluding to when I was opening up the fact that when you read the Old Testament, you just take time to look at it. You see time and time again, Israel gets in their own way. They can't stop worshiping other gods. They can't stop acknowledging the fact that it was God that delivered them out of Egypt, delivered them from their oppressor, and was the one that was making a way for them throughout the wilderness. But yet time and time again, they could not feel it. Abraham couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. Prophets couldn't do it but there was only one that could and did and his name is Jesus and when we understand that this imagery of the vine you're in the vine becomes far more clearer to us because in an agrarian culture which they were a society which they were in being we, we wouldn't necessarily attribute being a farmer to being in a vineyard or vine, vineyard, if you will, vineyard, whatever you would, however one would say it, a vineyard, you understand? What, we, what happens then is we have to learn and understand what it means to be connected, not just to the vineyard, but to the vine, the true vine. Dependent upon him, we then should be fruitful. Fruitful. Many of you hear that and say, okay, that means I need to do more. I have to be productive. I need to figure out how to work this out. That's not what Jesus is saying, and this is not what John is saying. Fruitfulness in Christ does not equate to human achievement. Fruitfulness in Christ does not equate to human achievement. So I, I want to make this clear. It doesn't mean that you, just because you're starting that new business or you have a lucrative life or you have resources or that what God is doing and he going to open up this door, he going to do, it's not a prosperity for the individual to do better for themselves. 
It's not a prosperity for the individual to do better for themselves. In fact, it's acknowledging the work in which Christ is doing through you and the body. That is key because what it does for us, beloved, it helps us to understand the way in which God enjoys dwelling and indwelling amongst his people is important to understand that his, uh, the, the remaining, the abiding is a notion that God desires to be around a people that he's not trying to be overly reductionistic and saying fruitfulness is this uh, uh, self-betterment, is this do more moralistic kind of life, is this self-legalism, it's just distracting for what God is actually doing. It's what Don Carson, Dr. Carson says where he says that the state in which our fruitfulness is, it is nothing less than the outcome of preserving dependence on the vine, driven by faith, embracing all of the believer's life, and the product of his witness. The, the goal, beloved, is, the, is not that for us to grow in doing better merely in life. Uh, it is it, to live out godly characteristics in life, but instead it is to actually be a witness to the entire world of the transformative power that has happened in our lives. I can take that further. But when God has changed you, you know when God has transformed you, other people will know. I remember being in high school, for instance, when the Lord changed my life. It, it was abundantly clear that I didn't have a lot of people in my life that knew Jesus. All my friends were doing things that we should not have been doing at the age of 15, 16. But one time when I was sitting among, amongst all of my friends, it was abundantly clear that I wasn't the same Michael Davis that they knew a few months ago. I was an individual that had encountered a God that changed my life. And every time I spoke up, every time I interacted, my, those characteristics displayed themselves because of what I began to be connected to. I, I, I didn't necessarily understand, I was young, how to live it out. But godliness manifested itself due to being connected to God and God's people. It became abundantly clear how I ought to carry myself the more I was around the people of God. So I don't want you to hear me saying people of God only stay around each other. No, we need to be around each other in order to learn more about what it looks like to walk with Jesus. To be godly people amongst the world, to be a witness. Therefore, that leads to some of our fruitfulness. It's driven, though, by faith. Faith alone. When you understand that it's driven by faith alone, it's not something that is, it is it's illuminating out of the way in which you can just name it and do it. You, you can just say, I'm going to just carry out all of the fruits of the Spirit, and that's it. It's not merely that. It's not merely saying, I'm going to be more gentle. I'm, I, I'm just going to be more joyous. I'm going to be more loving. Do you see how you can transform those spiritual, those fruits of the spirit into things that become moralistic? And into trying to do better. It is by faith. Increasing your faith means you looking to God and his word. 
learning from God in situations where you will be tested. And you say, how do I know how to pass the test? The Bible tells us you test the spirit by the spirit. When you learn how to do that, beloved, it is a practice daily. It is you dying to yourself, actually repenting on a consistent basis, knowing that you're always going to fail, knowing that if you fail, God's grace is sufficient. We are confident in God's grace, not in our goodness. So then we also pray. We just show this dependency in which we pray according to his will. Therefore, our justification is not by our works, but it is by what God has done. We don't say that we're going to be justified because of how hard we're going to work and what it does to liberate us. We, don't, we are not liberated by that. We are liberated by finding ourselves in Christ. And as John said, the Father is glorified that that you bear fruit. And get this, here's the purpose. Here's the reason. To prove, or in the NIV, that's the ESV, to pro so prove to be a dis my disciple. The NIV says, showing yourself to be my disciple. Showing yourselves to be my disciple. That is how you have a key indicator as to how am I a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? It is to pray the will of God. How do I pray the will of God? It is attributed uh, once again to our faith. It doesn't mean that you pray more, read more, uh, more quiet times that I have, the, the more prayer times that I have, the, the more that I do, the more that I'm going to, no. Beloved, any relationship that you do more, it is an endless, bottomless way in which you can never, they'll never be satisfied. How do we know that? I learned that more and more by having kids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, I can play with my kids. I can, t I, I can play with my kids for 24 hours straight. Daddy, we ain't played enough. I'm like, listen, y'all, I'm limited. I ain't Jesus. I'm going to sit down, drink this water, and rest my feet. Take some Benadryl because I've been jumping on the trampoline. Hamstrings already hurting. But the idea is, is that when we know that God is sufficient for all things, enough for all things, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how much you have in your pockets. It doesn't matter how successful you are. What matters then is you learn how to be justified by the means of grace and in Christ alone. So therefore, when you wake up in the morning and you say, God, lead me according to your will. Not everything work out well. Help it all to turn out. Help my spouse not to be mad at me. Help my children to do the right thing. If it, give, me an, give me a sign, Lord, but, but if this happens, then I'll know that you're with me. God is saying his will is his will. So instead, God, show me yourself. Help me to sense where you are. Lord, speak to me through the people around me. God, reveal yourself to me daily so that I will know where you are. The issue, beloved, is that our faith in the will of God is not circumstantial. It's not based on, if this circumstance work out, then I know it's God. See what I'm saying? If, if, if this doesn't happen, then I know it's God. If, if, if my kids act right, then I know it's God. 
if it's hinged upon those things, it's not rooted in Christ. And that's what helps us to know that our, our dependency is to be people that are fruitful due to what God is doing in our lives and how he reveals himself. But the situation won't always be in our favor. How do we know that? Because when Jesus prays to the Father in Matthew 26, what he says is, again, for the second time, he says, my Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. It is Jesus submitting himself to the Father. For those that like theology, you may say, what's the subordination? We're not talking about that, okay? (laughs) Don't be be distracted by that. The idea is, is that Jesus shows us an example on how to pray for God's will. Lord, if this is then it, your will be done. If the door did not open, your will be done. So when you know you've asked time and time again, all you say is, God, your will be done and help lead me by faith. How do you pray? How do you depend upon Jesus? What are the things that are distracting you from dependent upon him? And how are those things helping you, beloved, to understand what it means to walk in his will? Because when we get to our next point to hide God's word in our heart, we see that all of what John is doing is actually unpacking. He's expounding further on the same illustration in terms of what it means to be a vine, being connected to the, to the true vine. And then we know that this, deep, this analogy deepens our understanding of what it means to be rooted in Christ. Here's the beauty, though, about when he says in the next couple of verses, 9 through 11, where he says, abide in my word, abide in my love. The repetition there, it, the beauty of hiding God's word in our heart is that we understand how we're guided and how what the light exposes. Do you, do you, when, when Paul talks about the light will expose what is happening in darkness, it's not just like what you're doing behind things. It will expose things around you. And when you pray according to God's will, where you should go and where you shouldn't go. Who you should be with and who you shouldn't be with. I was with my, I was with my, my, my cousins getting married. I'm not going to make a joke about them. But my cousins getting married. Not first time. But he's getting married, right? And he, he, uh, he and a couple of his friends came into town. And, and when they did, it, this was funny. One of the brothers, um, you know, all of the negative connotations about Memphis is always, I always have to remind people. Like, yo, like you just not finna go out. And, and, and mayhem is just about to happen on you. But there was, a car, there was a car that was blocking us because of a parking spot. And there was a, 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 a nice gentleman said, hey, brother, I, I'll, I'll wait on you. So what happened is the brother didn't move out of the parking spot, but the other car was trying to get into the parking spot. And so I was sitting there waiting, but the car wouldn't move until the other car moved. Well, as they were walking past, he, he got in the car. He said, I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought that there was going to be a, a, a shootout. I was trying to figure out where my exit was going to be. And I just laughed. I was just like laughing. I'm like, brother, I'm not going to be in a situation where there's going to be a shootout. Trust me. Then you don't have to worry about that. Okay. But the idea is, is one the reason I say that is when you are in darkness and in dark moments, the fears that you are with, that you're trying to think about, and trying to remove, be, uh, move around, navigate around, God will expose them. It's not just exposing what's going on in you. He exposes things so that you know the path in which you ought to walk. 
You understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? He exposes them so that you will know you will know how to walk. How do you know when you're walking in the will of the Lord? Because it's pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 4 says that. It is pleasing to the Lord. Time and time again, when you look at the Old Testament, what happens? They make a sweet aroma. They make something pleasing unto the Lord. So then what you what do you say? This morning is a good example. Lord, help our worship to be pleasing unto you. That you meet us, that when we hear the cries of your people, we know that I may not be feeling what that brother and or sister is feeling, but we know that you are working on them. You are doing the progressive sanctification in their lives because they are connected to your word. And we know your word by your love and we know it by the fullness of your joy. Love of God is attributed to his divine attributions. It's not attributed to how we feel about each other. Y'all, some of y'all don't like me. And that's all right. I may not like you. My kids don't like me sometimes. My wife may not like me sometimes. That's all right. But it's, our love is not hinged upon that. That's why Paul says, bear with one another in love. He doesn't say, hope everything feels good while you love each other. Bearing with one another in love. Why does he say it in Colossians? Forgiving each other. Walking in that forgiveness. Why? Because you understand that the true vine is deeply, deeply connected to the suffering of the cross. And that is where you find your forgiveness. You don't find it in someone making you feel better. That is why his divine love, his goodness that we sing about, his mercy, his grace, his compassion, all of it is out of him demonstrating his love and his faithful, faithfulness to us. But we also find that we hide his word in our heart, the fullness of his joy may come. It will come. It's guaranteed. It's hinged solely upon the fact of what he has done. I was when, when I was in I was in uh, Fort Myers a few weeks ago and a brother walked into the office I never knew him he was he said hey brother how you doing I said what's going on brother how you doing I had just came out of praying because I was about to speak he said man my name is Dwayne Upton I'm about to go to Brazil I mean uh, not Brazil Portugal I'm with Young Lives etc and he, this brother's about 50 some years old and he's like I'm about to start a ministry and on a college campus I'm like dang you're 50, you about to start a, wow. And, and I said, man, what, 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 what made, the young, my young lives folks laughing. I'm like, what, what make you, what make you want to do that? And he said, I, he started testifying. He said, I had these many transplants. I had this going on. I, I overcame this. I, they resuscitated me. I came back to life after this issue. Time, he testified and it was connected not to what he is doing, but to what God had been doing into his life. The joy in which he had, I infected me and we begin to praise God together that beloved is the fullness of God's joy connected to the testimony in which he's done for us it's not designed so that we may do things better God's joy is designed in order for us to see that we're doing something greater than ourselves attributed to the glory of God that is how we understand when we hide his word, keep his commandments, we depend on him. But then the other thing that we love one another, we're going to get out of here on this one. We love one another. It's important. How do we love? I talked about this idea of knowing love. First John 4 and, and 9 says that what? He first loved us, right? 
That's how we know love. Not because we love better. Not because we love harder. I'm going to love harder. I'm going to do hard. That's not it. It's understanding the love that's been, that's, been, that's been given to you. It's been sacrificially. That's how we do it with one another. And missionally. How do we know that? It's because what do, what do we always say is a hermeneutical principle? It's the fact that scripture teaches us how to interpret scripture. Jesus says in John 17, the world will know that you sent me by the way that you, I mean 13, by the way that you love one another. People will know you my disciples by the way that you love one another. John 17, people will know you, I was sent by becoming perfectly one. By the love that the father had loved me, I love you. The sacrifice in which he talks about, I can talk about the illusions, but I'll take longer. Uh, uh, but what they're alluding to within the society, Gnosticism and Judaism and others, how they pictured sacrifice. So when he says you're a friend and no longer a servant, they picture sacrifice a little bit differently. And it's hard for us to see that, that love is costly. Y'all miss that. Jesus didn't, it didn't say, for God so loved the world that he made all y'all feel good. So for God so loved the world that, that, that his only son, he came down just to kick it with you. For God so loved the world that he gave. Beloved, when we are in connection with one another, when we are a body, the love that we have for one another is costly and painful. And it means that I got to lay down my pride when I feel like something is happened or something is going on. And I got to love my brother and or sister. I have to make sure that I humble myself in situations because I got to love my brother and or sister. I have to, that's where you begin to work these things out, the godliness of the characteristics because as Titus says, you want to renounce all ungodliness by exemplifying those characteristics. You want self-control because you can fly off the handle. You want to be patient because you want to slap somebody sometimes. You want to be able to show meekness because you always have been trying to show yourself strong. You've been counting down and out and so you think, I got to show people what I'm about. No, you don't. You don't, beloved. God is taking care of that. And you are strong because of what Jesus has done. So then the sacrifice is more palatable. It's, it's more relevant. And it's more, it, it tastes good. Because the sacrifice is something that we are actually mutually trying to develop together. The beauty of us as a church, beloved, is that we're not just here for a moment. But we're here so that God will be proclaimed to South Memphis, uh, to downtown Memphis, to North Memphis, to Midtown, to East Memphis, to the world. Every single time someone touches foot in the downtown church gym sanctuary where we are, we want them to know you have come encounter with some disciples of Jesus Christ that's going to love you like some fools. The missional component becomes abundantly clear because you don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to South America. You don't have to go to, you don't have to, go to these places in order to exemplify them. We do need to go. We do need to do that missionally, right? Domestically and internationally. We, need, we do need that to be connected. But here's the example that I want to use. I had came into contact with a couple people, and it was an example where it was like, you know what? The way that the church had showed missionally that it changed the, the area. The church, they got on the phone, and they said, 
to the local hospital, can you give us all of the, the hospital bills that haven't been paid? Those that are delinquent, etc. They said, why do you want those? Because we want to pay them. And we're a church. And if we can, can we, can we notify the people that Jesus paid it all? Oh, my goodness. That's a church. Another church that I heard that's in Kansas City, the brother was telling me, he said he was the finance guy. He said, the senior pastor called him and said, God had placed on, on, on our hearts for us as a church to give away $250,000. And he said, no, he, he, didn't, he put that on your heart. He didn't put that on the church heart. The bean counter said that. And he said, no, no, no. He said, during the pandemic, people, it was hard. He said, the church, we, we need to give away $250,000. And he was saying, how am I going to make the numbers happen? How am I going to hit the, the, the black and not the red? And what they did was they began to write checks to people in the community. And some people didn't cash the checks, beloved. Remember when I said some people don't believe, it's not that they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in the church because of the church sometimes. Beloved, when the lady got the check, she ripped it up. And she threw it in the trash. The way they knew it, because they began to call people who didn't cash their checks. And so she, she said, wait a minute, the check was real? She couldn't get it because it was in the, 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 the trash man had already came. Check was gone, couldn't put it together. He said, you know what, we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to cancel that one and send you another one. We just want you to know, as a church, that God loves you. And that Jesus has paid it all. The reason I think it's important that the church does it together is because all of us doesn't have means to give away a substantial amount of money. But if you got $20 and downtown church says, we're going we're gonna to do something crazy. And we, we're, we're going we're gonna to do something so crazy that, that the, people of God, the people around here are going to know that it was this church. When we do it together, it doesn't matter what economic background you come from, skin color, all of that. Because when we do it together, it has meaning, and we're not necessarily worried about how much we're contributing. Amen, somebody? We are God's people. Exemplifying godliness shows people that we are his disciples. And this table points us to that. Because when we understand what God has done for us, every time we come to this table, not alone, but together as the family of God, we feast together on the body in which was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us, knowing that the only thing that can change this world is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much that you remain with us and we are confident in you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you continue to lift up your people for your glory and so as you do so, Lord, I pray that we are reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness unto us. For it is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. All God's people say together, amen. I won't boast in gifts, power, and wisdom, but what will we boast in, beloved? Jesus. Say it together. Jesus. Say it like you mean it. Let that be our proclamation as we leave this place. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father be with you all now and forevermore.